Welcome to the Domcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. All right, what's up? How's everybody doing? It's the end of the week. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I also hope that having this sweet little bonus episode hit your cue when you woke up, sparked a little bit of joy in your life. Uh, Netflix has been cracking out so many films lately. It's insane. Uh, I think October has over 20 original films or something like that. It's way too much for me to handle. Uh, but this episode talks about quite a few films, documentary films to be exact. This is another excellent collaboration with the Mike, Mike and Oscar podcast with this one taking a look at the best documentaries we've seen so far this year, uh, including a full breakdown of Dick Johnson is Dead, a Netflix doc that came out last week that seems to have a lot of the Oscar-focused podcast buzzing. So uh, hang out with us for that. Stick around after these quick promos from my podcast friends at Forgotten Entertainment, and we'll be right back to talk to my pal, also Mike of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm Pat Whalen. And I'm Mike Field. And throughout the history of cinema, nothing can compare with the phenomena of the MCU. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond. And we'll have a little fun along the way. We may not have been first or second or even 48th, but we're hoping you'll take the journey with us into the MCU as we are yet another MCU podcast. You can find us on Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts today. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, welcome back. We will get to my conversation with Also Mike in just a minute. But first, a couple quick reminders. First, if you are listening to this on the day of release, Friday, October 9th, I hope you all join us tonight for our Netflix watch party for the new Adam Sandler movie, Hubie Halloween. Uh, This is our first one of these, so I hope you can make it. Follow us on Facebook. That's very important. Check out the event page, even more important. Uh, I'll be updating that page with all the links and info you will need so you can comment along with us while we watch what should be a fun, silly film because that's most of Sandler's films. So please jump on that event page around 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. as we will be kicking off the movie at around 9 p.m. Eastern. Looking forward to that, so I hope you guys can join us. Also... I want to urge anyone who hasn't already to please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. 
And while you're there, subscribe to our friends at Mike, Mike, and Oscar. They are a great show, uh, cranking out multiple episodes a week with news, reviews, and previews, all to make Oscar season all year round. So listen to them, follow them on Twitter at MM and Oscar, uh, and absolutely take them all in. They are great guys, and they basically deserve all the love and attention. So thank you for that. Uh, do that right away. Too sweet, if you will. All right, let's get to it. Here it is, our review of Dick Johnson is Dead and a full look at the best documentaries of 2020 thus far. Give a listen. So this is what, our 11th collaboration now, Andrew? I don't know. I'd have to go look at the scrapbook on my hope chest. Uh, you know, I keep track of it usually, but I don't have it right in front of me. <laughs> but it's always a great time. That's all I know. Because Mike and I are legally married in terms, I think lawfully, <laughs> in terms of the, you know, uh, our podcast. And, and, and I think it's binding at this point. Like if he tried to leave me, I don't even know if he could. Uh, I, I mean, I, he'd have to like, you know, go to a court of law to divorce me. But this has been... You know, a frequent affair. This has been <laughs> 11 times in a, in a fairly short amount of time because we haven't, you know, known each other for that long. But this is this is fun. I mean, we keep getting these Netflix original movies that top yeah. the Oscar list of the moment. Dick Johnson is Dead is definitely one of those scenarios where it's a top the documentary feature category right now. But, yeah, what are you thinking of me? What are you thinking of Mike One right now and in your uh, relationship with Mike, Mike, and Oscar? I will say for anyone, especially because we just speak in meme culture, I instantly <laughs> thought of the meme where it's that guy staring at that girl walking away while his girlfriend's <laughs> looking at him in disgust that I am I am the, the hot piece of ass the, that you're checking out while <laughs> Mike one's sitting on the sideline going, uh, I'm right here. I'm right here. What's going on? There should be none of that because obviously it's great for all of us to collaborate and get to know the other people in our space. But uh, it's funny because, it, you know, it, it's unfortunate that Mike got uh, caught up in babysitting duty tonight. He's doing the Uncle Buck thing, which uh, all could be a facade for his, the fact that he is secretly hating you forever i I mean this has been a private joke between all three (laughs) of us at different stages or he was afraid to review this movie because this movie i know hit him hard emotionally so i'll tell you that was an easy scratch you know I think it's actually a third option, Mike, where your one of your last episodes, uh, Mike threw the gauntlet down saying uh, that if Netflix is going to get all the nominations because of how things are going, <laughs> that the Oscars are canceled uh, so because we don't want that to happen uh, and that it only it serves is. people like me. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to face me. That's Even right. in Zoom, he's a coward. You're right. So, I think uh, there's a lot to go on with that one. But I love him anyway, so I won't say uh, too much more. No, that'll be the show line for this episode, and he'll have to come <laughs> back on to correct it. And we'll have to. The bottom line is we, we, we wanted to do this with Mike One. Uh, the three of us all watched it, we all prepped it. Uh, Mike got uh, called away last second here this time. And uh, it is unfortunate. But we got two things we got to do here today, Andrew. We want to kind of do an overview of the documentary feature category thus far not a lot of people are doing it out there next best picture shout out to them really nobody else that i've seen indie wire months ago but a lot of the movies that are 
are in the conversation now weren't in the conversation then. So we want to look at that category because nobody has. And we want to look at this movie and break it down, non-spoilers, then spoilers, like we said in our intro. So first things first, I went a little nuts and I looked (laughs) up Metascores for not only every documentary I've seen this year, every documentary that's on the radar this year. It was like 50 movies, but also the last 20 nominees. And here's what I found. 81 was the lowest Metascore in 2019 last year. Uh, 70 and 71 the year before that. 73 the year before that. 75 the year before that. Essentially, uh, four out of the last 20 had Metascores lower than 80 in terms of the, the last 20 Oscar nominations. So usually an Oscar-nominated documentary feature gets a score somewhere in the 80s. Faces Places was 94. There's a couple that are in the 90s. Minding the Gap was 90. What do you think of Dick Johnson is Dead, Crip Camp, 87, 86? These are the two standouts for Netflix. Do you think they're on the level from what you've seen in the past and from what you've seen from my crazy list? I absolutely think they they qualify and that they're 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 a cut above at least as far as like what has gone on thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know we're you know we're not that far away. I mean, especially for what the studios and even Netflix prepared for the year. I mean, most of the goods are out now, mm-hmm. or at least we're we're getting there. I mean, especially as far as Netflix is concerned. Their big slate for documentaries is done with, right? Uh, you know, I mean, at least as far as that I've seen uh, throughout the the rest of the year, they don't have a lot going on. Would you be uh, surprised if they acquired another two movies? I mean, there's a bunch of these that I'm going to talk about in a minute that are going to be film festival movies at AFI and Middleburg, probably Sundance. I wouldn't be shocked if they bought something. But you're right. There's not. I don't see any other standouts, any other buzzy, buzzy films. Uh, in their slate we got a couple heavy hitters already yeah i wouldn't be shocked if they acquire one but um i would say that maybe you know depending they're loaded so i mean on on both sides of the fence you know documentary style you know nonfiction and fiction they are a loaded lineup throughout Mm -hmm. the rest of the year so you know i don't know if they would get something to play for after the new year Right. Maybe because they're a little light, even on the fictional side, to to go on there because of you know COVID production holdups or anything else. So maybe they'd look long term at that one potentially. But I would say that you know looking across at all the other streamers and all the other studios and what may come through, you know they already know who their competition is. A lot of the stuff that's out there and they might think they have the goods. I mean, they held Dick Johnson all the way from Sundance in January to now, you know, just to, to kind of get closer to the line. I think they think they have the goods here. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what they do. It's getting a lot of attention. I'm really excited about that. I know you are as well. I know Mike is because we all three of us love this film. So that's cool. Here's what I wonder about Crip Camp. Here's what I wonder about the category at large, though, Andrew. OJ Made in America might have broke every documentary feature (laughs) branch voting members, you know, spirit on archival footage docs. 
And I mm. wonder if this particular generation, having grown up in the cinema verite style of a documentary where it's just like, all right, let's turn on the camera and see what we find. And, and let's not really contrive things. Let's not really structure them. We're going to just film life. And sure. the people that can put together great stories and great documentary experiences when they do just that, we're going to respect them a little more than if we, all right, I'll just say it. If NASA films the moon landing, <laughs> hides the archival footage, and another filmmaker finds it and edits it, that is not, you know, a documentary feature. Not even if it has an eighty-eight Metascore. Won't you be sure. my neighbor, Jane? Archival footage films. Uh, I mean, Crip Camp is that same kind of thing. MLK FBI, which I saw at the New York Film Festival, is the same thing. It's they're they're made of entire entirely of uh, archival footage does that worry you uh for crip camp do you think crip camp could be this year's kind of also mike favorite that gets snubbed i i can i can't see that based on what's out right now right. if if you told me something that gets some buzz from some some of the festivals going forward or maybe you know something that sneaks into sundance 2021 mm -hmm. and and you know blows everybody away something that's maybe a little under the radar maybe um you have a little bit more of a hold on the category than i do but uh, based on either what i've heard or what i've seen i can't see where this you know at the end of the day crip camp doesn't sneak at least in the top five for a nomination a hold on this category is like the guy i just saw the blob a couple of weeks ago the guy <laughs> who thinks he you know pulled the blob from the asteroid and thinks he's got a hold on it and then it like infects his whole body and then he's in the <laughs> hospital getting eaten from the inside out i think this category throws us for a loop every year and a, and a movie like dick johnson is dead crip camp beloved by audiences typically gets snubbed every year now we'll talk about dick johnson and how it measures up athlete a again this is kind of you know some interviews a lot of archival footage back from the days of uh, of the u.s gymnastics and the olympics there do you think that's on the level of these other two i know it seems to have a high enough meta score to be there would you would you put it ahead in terms of oscar chances of crip camp or dick johnson I don't think it'll last. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, like right now, mm -hmm. uh, present day, without seeing everything on the landscape, uh, it's in my top five. But I don't see where, you know, especially I don't think Netflix will get three for sure. I mean, if we're already questioning Crip Camp, it's not going to be going ahead of that. It's right. not uh, that good. Um, but it is very solid. Uh, I liked it quite a bit, um, and, you know, it's – I think that movie, the strength of that movie for just a small synopsis is that third act. Right. It, it, it was so strong. The procedural kicks in really well, and it it, it ends strong, uh, which, you know, leaves you with a better lasting impression than maybe somehow the early uh, way that movie – cooks but i would say it's definitely a, a tier below the other netflix nominations but still powerful and the, only, the biggest problem with that movie might be that they made it a couple years ago on hbo and, and was favorably reviewed there unfortunately it's, look city hall is a four and a half hour new york <laughs> film festival movie that i just couldn't go in for apparently it's just meetings town hall meetings or city 
whatever, planning meetings. My God, it's supposed to, to teach us about government, and we probably need that right now, and maybe I'll get through it at some point, but it just feels like a whole heaping plate of kale And I, when I talk about <laughs> yes. vegetable movies there. So that one is atop the Metascores right now, but I would be surprised at the end of the day if the documentary feature branch goes that far and puts that up there. We have... A couple of HBO Max documentaries, Welcome to Chechnya, uh, On the Record. I've seen On the Record. You're going to talk about that a little bit later, but they're in play. The Dissident, that is coming to Middleburg. I really, I'm going to see that uh, two weeks. But the other big, you know, attention grabber has been Boys State on Apple TV+. Plus. We've both seen it. We've both really enjoyed it. That was kind of a film where we got, what we didn't expect i mean d- did you ever think you'd you'd find a political operative like the kid who was in charge of uh, one of the two <laughs> parties in that movie did you ever think you'd see like this diorama of uh <laughs> of just political intrigue and insanity as we saw in that apple tv plus film do you rank that anywhere close to the to the netflix slate uh yeah, it's right up there. Right now, I would probably say that and Dick Johnson are like neck and neck as the best documentaries I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. And man, I I was I was blown away, and mostly because of the pacing of this film. Like the content is gonna be what maybe you know lingers with you, but the something that you know stays with you is to take something like this and really make it seem like your ch- the chase is on. The entire time, the the political, the governorship, all the the election stuff, the the conversations, the back dealings, everything that you would get from an intriguing political film is in this teenage, you know, essentially bloated fake UN, uh, you know, model UN scenario that they do for the election uh, cycle and. Full disclosure, both my parents are very high up in the American Legion. So I knew about what Boy State was. I almost, I almost, I was encouraged to apply back in the day. Uh, I would imagine the Connecticut one is a little different than the Texas one. (laughs) Um, And obviously, uh, you know, I think part of the reason why it makes more sense now is that we are more divided than ever. And maybe to show that even in a place like Texas, that the youth of tomorrow still has different opinions on things and and can really hammer out those issues and it really shows how even people who say things in a speech to try to get elected don't even believe the things that they're trying to do because they're trying to get elected and that's so awful to see that they're doing that even on this level before they even go to higher levels where they they're going to be on a bigger platform trying to go for bigger office one day it's like equal helpings uh bitter and sweet which is i think indicative of two of the last three documentary feature category winners american factory and icarus they both happen to be netflix winners there where i think you know you know free solo is a crowd pleaser oj made in america is definitely a crowd pleaser it was like the last dance uh, on espn this year in terms of uh, notoriety but uh, a boy state is really that mix and it's walking that line and it's something that i think that category respects when you can pull off a film like that. So there, there would not be a movie uh, I would be uh, shocked to see in the nominated five. I did want to mention one more. I watched it last night. It was about Italian guys hunting for truffles. 
and it was called the Truffle Hunters. <laughs> yes, and of course. They Everybody's a, seen that one. <laughs> dude, they put a camera on the dog. The dog and the dogs did all the work. Let's just be honest. The, right. Look, the cardinal <laughs> sin of this movie is they did not zoom in on one of those effing pasta dishes and it ruined the movie for me. <laughs> I would have added ten points on the meta rating myself if they just zoomed in on one of these guys eating pasta with the truffles on it. Instead, nothing. It's all master shots. But I wonder if this category, Andrew kind of needs more documentary categories in general because they tend to they tend to nominate superlatives and the truffle hunters mm. can be involved because the cinematography is so good in years past i i think the cinematography of a free solo is just so unique i think the cinema verite of the cave and, and the fact that she's literally and he's literally out there you know filming this war and they're on the ground i think uh honeyland the uniqueness to the production values in some of these movies can sway the documentary film branch at times because they only have one category and they want to, you know, nominate the best of their profession. Right. I guess we're going to talk about some uh, underdogs and, and a few movies where they might sneak in or we think sh they should be more in the conversation. But do, do like The Painter and the Thief, I know you're high on. Anything in this list that you would say might distract the doc feature branch in terms of production values or like that? Yeah, I mean, it's also you got to think about what streamer they're on or what studio they have backing them too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Apple TV Plus, if if they want to make a splash at the Oscars, I mean, what are the goods that they're going to try to bring to the table? I think Boy State is one of the first things that comes to mind. So they might put a lot of their equity behind that one sure. as far as the uh, the promotional dollars. So that's something to consider. And the same goes with Hulu. I mean, if, if you know, if they're going to... I don't know how they're going to position Painter and the Thief, if they're going to help with that at all, because that's the streamer that this one happened to land on, or whether it's the studio that backed it or however that promotional window works. Right. Um, but I would say that that is a movie that can definitely make a little bit of noise, especially because every time I see... Uh, it land in uh, some of the current festivals, even though it's streaming here in America. I think anytime somebody sees it, I instantly see on film Twitter people raving about it. So that's one that might, you know, sneak up on people. I mean, there's a couple other Netflix ones that I enjoy. Like a lot of people talked about the social dilemma. You know, mm. that was something it's that terrifying. people. Yeah, I mean, we're in October, right? That is the scariest movie I think I've seen this year uh, because, I mean, the it, let's put it this way. It's a movie that you watch, and the information made me so concerned uh, that, you know, it made me concerned enough to go through my phone settings as the movie was going on, and I was talking to my <laughs> wife afterwards about it, you know, kind of guiding, like, what we should do with our kids and screen time and other things. Yeah. So uh, it definitely did its job. Let's put it that way, and especially the people that they had as speakers on on there uh, and the fact that they don't allow their kids anywhere near a phone. Or Social media use. is the devil. Yeah. yeah. I, it reminded me of Citizen Four. After Citizen Four, I would sure. tape over my uh, 
my camera on my laptop for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, you know what? If they're seeing me, they're seeing me. What do I have to hide, really? What am I doing that's going to change anything for me? So at the end of the day, I just said I just embraced it. And now we have a podcast, Andrew. Yeah, 500-plus exactly. episodes. We're on I, Zoom every day. We're on Zoom every day. They know exactly what I'm doing. Luckily, I'm not doing anything wrong. But uh, I do want to mention a couple of my – uh, sleepers as well, but I forgot to mention like seventy six days. That's going to be about COVID with a big yeah. director. That's got to be in the conversation. Uh, yeah, I think uh, a couple. Another big name director is uh, Alex Gibney, and he has totally under control. That will be coming to Hulu, and maybe if the Painter and the Thief is not Neon's pick, then that would be my sure. psychedelic love story. Is Errol Morris that's going to close the AFI Film Festival, and I wonder if it can. Uh, win people over. Belushi is going to be a doc at the AFI festival that I'm really excited to see. But those docs that we love about funny people never get nominated. No, never. That won't happen. But all right, back, back to the, I did doing a terrible job here, circular conversation, but back to the Netflix (laughs) gems, hidden gems. And I I could mention a bunch of them. I I really loved uh, kiss the ground. I think that's one of the most important, most optimistic global warming, movies in a long damn time mm. uh the meta score is high but probably not high enough still I, I i think it's one of those movies woody harrelson's involved he's the narrator it's not simplistic either it's educational but it gives you like 10 different things that you can do to help and it gives like 10 different macro level solutions as well but there's a lot of solutions out there fixing this problem and it's really just instructive and, and, and constructive conversation. There's a couple scary points where the world is going to burn, and it is burning. We get it. But th- that's a movie that can uh, you can watch and, and safely walk away with feeling better. I also loved My Octopus Teacher. I just loved it. It's a guy scuba diving and making friends with an octopus. Yeah. Up. And then Rising Phoenix about the Paralympics. Oh, my God. I was so happy. And that's another – talk about another movie that made me cry. Jesus that was a, that was an excellent sports film, an excellent documentary. I just I wish it would get more attention out there, in terms of a meta score, etc. I thought that was really well done. We go on and on. I think the point of today's discussion is that this category is perhaps the most stacked and the most fully formed of yes. any Oscar category thus far. I don't think that's. I think that's I don't think that's going out on a limb. I think that's an obvious statement at this moment. Like if we had five movies from here, even you could pick of 10 movies, I would be proud of those nominees. Will they pick those 10 movies? Of course not. They'll pick right. something I hate. But, but how do you feel overall? Do you feel like you got enough uh, documentary features to choose from like me? I believe so. Even if even if I had to take my current top 5 and take it to market, yeah. I would say that that is fine by me. I know there are some ones that I still want to see. Like you said, MLK, FBI, I definitely want to watch that one. I have uh, seen, any, yeah. Any of the COVID ones, you know, definitely I want to, you know, be able to take a look at. I think I'm pretty caught up as far as, like, Netflix is concerned. Some of the ones you said, maybe I didn't uh, give enough of a fair shake, or, or, or maybe I just think they're a cut below what would probably make the ranks um, even a, uh, a documentary like Disclosure that I enjoyed and I thought was very important, mm-hmm. um, and and it's part of you know Ryan Murphy's deal that he did with Netflix. Uh, we just covered Boys in the Band uh, to know that his 
his giant five-year, three hundred million dollar deal made a lot of good stuff. But and this is part of that, and you know the the trans movement uh, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you know is definitely worth talking about, especially if you're someone like me who was uh, you know raised in the '90s, where uh, you know Ace Ventura, Jerry Springer, like all these things that the transphobia and the way those characters were used for a long time even when they got attention uh it will set you on your ear it will set you straight and really make you think of how that uh characterization needs to change going forward and where that movement is going it's definitely an important thing but at the end of the day i don't think that makes it higher on even netflix's list let alone the top five like a nominated film Still, though, I'm glad you hit that review because now I'm convinced that I need to watch that because I was sheepish in watching that. Maybe because the same, you know, growing up uh, that you had, the same upbringing you had, I feel a sense of disgust with our generation in a way. Uh, And uh, that that makes a lot of good sense. And it's an, an important movie at the end of the day. There's so many important movies in this category. I wonder if a Dick Johnson gets bumped because how do you not, you know, nominate some of these? And that might be the problem every year. How do you not nominate the movie about the, the Syrian war and, 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 and the Me Too movement? And how do you not do that? RBG, she's got her one big, you know, puff piece. She's got her one big tribute doc have to nominate it's it's undeniable so this happens all the time so we'll have to wait and see we know this though we have a favorite documentary short film yes we do we we've talked a lot about this uh we love this movie just go see it people just watch it on netflix it is called the speed cubers it is about competitive rubik's cube solvers and really it's just a story about buddies and it's my favorite thing it is. It made me weep openly. Uh, I wanted to buy matching team jackets with, uh, you know, the speed cubers that are of note in this film. It, you're right. It is a friendship story. It is uh, amazing to watch the development of this child who can barely speak and and you know was on the spectrum and had such a difficulty uh, growing up and how. You know, a Rubik's Cube changed his life and and made a community for him, gave him friends, made him develop as a human being. And then you get to see these elite, elite people solving a Rubik's Cube in like six seconds. It's absurd to show the uh, efficiency and the and the it's downright wizardry that they show. But I will tell you this right now. I love this so much, and I heard, and you can confirm for me, did I hear right that Pedro Almodovar has a short that he's going to be up for potentially in yeah, this race as well? Yeah, I will not, tell you, burn though. everything down if Pedro <laughs> Almodovar goes in here and takes it away from this kid. No, no, but, he's in a different category. He's in the documentary, uh, the short narrative feature, so you're, you're okay. Okay, all right. That's all I wanted to know. I just wanted to make sure I, I didn't know full details. So I wanted to make sure who I should be mad at, what who where should I uh, direct my energy. So I appreciate you talking me off a ledge. There was a couple documentary shorts last year that just warmed the cockles of my heart. So I'm hopeful that the, the short 
form category will have one of these in it. The Speed Cubers, you're absolutely right. Great movie about the youth of the world. Great movie about high school, college age kids. Great movie about parents and a yes. great movie about sports and competition and 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 the camaraderie that is built and you know through through that uh, crucible of training. Right. I yeah. loved it. Loved it so much. And uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. That entire segment took way too long andrew what, what else is new but i'm glad we we did a bit of a deep dive into the documentary feature category uh we do have a movie that sits atop that category right now everybody at next best picture for the most part has dick johnson is dead at their number one they're one of the only groups that have put out documentary feature ratings up till now i just did it by metascore and it's number two there with crip camp at third uh, again, City Hall is the leader, but that's four and a half hours, so we'll see. Bottom line yeah. is, we got a non-spoiler uh, review for Dick Johnson is Dead. I don't know if we'll go too long in in the you know the review segments today. Famous last words or famous long story <laughs> short preface from a talkative podcaster. Anyway. Yes. Look, this debuted at Sundance this past January. It won the Innovation in Nonfiction Storytelling Award. It uh, launched on Netflix October 2nd. The plot premise reads, Andrew, a daughter helps her father prepare for the end of his life. That is the worst premise I've ever seen a movie in a while. We saw the trailers. they're, They're effective. Let's just put it that way. What were your expectations out of the trailers following all the Netflix buzz? What were your expectations heading into watching this movie? Yeah, I mean, especially because the festivals were some of the only information that we had, not only for this movie, but for most of the good movies uh, for the first six months of the year, it felt like. Um, and, And this is no different. And they held this, you know, for a long time. You heard about it back then. It was up for the grand jury prize. Minari uh, ended up winning it, but it was like right there. Everybody seemed to love this movie. Uh, And I had high expectations because of that. I, I especially for how much we loved back in March, uh, Crip Camp, mm-hmm. and you know we had very high marks on that, and we were like, "Wait a minute, you're telling me that they're going to hold something? They're going to release this in March, and they're going to hold something that came out in the festivals in January all the way to the end of the year? It better deserve. It better be that much better or right on point with Crip Camp." And I. That was my expectation going in, and I think, you know, it definitely met those marks. Yeah, it delivers, right? And it delivers goods that I was not expecting either. And maybe that's the appeal, and maybe that's why this movie can surpass high expectations and all that buzz. Because, you know, you you expect dark comedy from the trailers. (laughs) She is... uh, you know, basically staging her father's death over and over and over again, and we'll get into it, but... That's in the trailers, and it's kind of ridiculous, and it's kind of gallows humor, and it's the darkest of dark comedies. And yet, yes. you, you put this movie on, and it is such a beautiful father-daughter story. It's such a beautiful story about a family. It's such an important, thorough investigation of dementia and aging and elder care. Well, maybe not thorough, but it, it's poignant. Mm. It, it, it's also like a shockingly healthy way to deal with and cope with your mortality, to, yeah. to do this and, and for it to spark such meaningful conversations and meaningful revelations between them. I just wanted to hug everyone involved in this movie, uh, Kirsten and C. Richard Johnson. I mean, they're beautiful people, and I'm so glad they shared this with everybody. So it's time to tell the truth now, buddy. I cried several times. How was your movie watching experience? Did, did, did you let it go? Oh, yeah. 
I, I unloaded uh, on this. I don't know if it was just the the quarantine in oh. me as well, but or the the, right? the daddy issues that I, I, every guy has, uh, especially at this age you know plus i have two kids of my own so i'm you know forecasting i'm going backwards i'm going forwards all the emotions are coming through and i will tell you right now we said it off air i wish dick johnson was my father i wish (laughs) uh that he was my grandfather i wish i had this man in my life Mm -hmm. uh this family is impressive you know him being a psychiatrist and her being a documentarian what it, you know this is going to be an intelligent innovative way to look at a situation like this and it definitely was just that and and for all the <laughs> for all the things that you know Kirsten Johnson is known for i think they definitely come right to the forefront i mean i heard an interview with her to where she talked about the lessons that she learned on camera person in terms of maybe some of the ethics of her subjects and things yeah. like that. And then she now has to turn around and apply them to her own father. And and he loves her so much mm-hmm. that to allow this type of movie to, to transpire shot over several years and to still stick with it, especially in his advanced age. And she has to know better to know when to pull the reins in and, to not take advantage. So amazing up and down, a lot of things to chew on. It's, and it's a beautiful film that I wept multiple times. Uh, me too. And you're right. It might be just quarantine talking, but I don't think so. I think it's hitting on some, you know, some, some serious issues for all of us and we can't help but relate this movie to our relatives. And, you know, I have personal experience where I had to, be a part-time caregiver for my grandfather for a couple of years. And I, I'm really lucky to say that, yeah, he reminds me a lot of uh, my grandpa, Dick Johnson. And I see my mom and my aunt and my uncles and my dad, you know, I see them in Kirsten having to have those conversations with my my 91-year-old grandmother now who's in a home and uh had covid and survived it and but my grandfather back my grandfather back uh, a couple years back when i was kind of helping him out you know i would hear those conversations time and time and time again from my aunts and uncles and, and you know the the you know the, kind of the leaders of my family just trying to call the shots for him and take care of him so it just it really it hits hard it hits me right now for christ's sake so kirsten johnson like you said, director of camera person. She's a DP of a ton of things, but she comes home after the longest of long days of work, right? I mean, if you're <laughs> yeah. a documentary cinematographer, that's a that is a lot of hours, I'm guessing. Yes. Because oh, you're yeah, waiting yeah. for shit to happen. Uh-huh. That's a long that's a long hour job. And she's basically working two or three projects a year, Andrew. And then she goes home and she films her dad for this one. And this one's being made and pieced together over you know, at least half a decade, probably more. So this is something where she's wrestling with her dad and and is aging at night. But I guess it's one of the more healthy coping mechanisms, you know, uh, that I've seen in a while because she can't finish her long ass work day and come home or or on the weekends, just have these brutal conversations with her dad every second of the way. She's got to do some things to spice it up or divert some of the emotions, right? So her original pitch to her dad was that uh, she's like, Dad, what if we make a movie where we kill you over and over again until you really die? And he laughed. Yeah. 
Yeah, he he bought in hard on this, and I mean the the motivation was that, of course, especially that was a direct quote from the film, a direct conversation piece. But you also have to you get to see, you know, what her life was like with her mother as well, and you kind of see the regret of a person who lives her life through a visual medium and doesn't have enough footage of quality things with her own mother before her own passing. So, True. you know, it's definitely kind of a, a, a make good as well as, you know, an optimistic look at trying to, to get to a man before, you know, aging, dementia, these type of things may start to settle in. And I will tell you, I mean, uh, we talked in our Netflix State of the Union episode that we kind of did as a tandem that, you know, maybe musicals was going to be the theme for 2020 films. I'm thinking it's now dementia. I mean, we got The Father. (laughs) We got, uh, what is it, The Relic. Uh, We have, I'm thinking of Ending Things, deals with dementia on a level. Very true. We we have a lot of dementia, aging films. Supernova coming out with the... Right. Oh, no. You're right. I know. It took over. It took the depression took over. The COVID depression took over. Uh, all the lively, you know, dancing films that we probably need flew south outside of the prom. So this is it, baby. But hopefully, because this is bent in the right dark comedy direction, as well as getting to the the real crux of the the issue of end stage dementia care right. and and everything else. So. I think this might be the crown jewel and especially the way uh, Kirsten Johnson, you know, couched it on interviews that I read where she did. She loved the father. She's seen the film. She gives kudos uh, to, to Anthony Hopkins and his performance. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Anthony Hopkins is okay. But Mm -hmm. you know, Dick Johnson is not, he's going to have to go on with this and deal with this and take it head on. Because this is reality, which, by the way, I officially after I heard that snippet in an interview on the ringer on uh, uh, the big picture podcast, I officially want to change the father's title to Anthony Hopkins is okay. Uh, Like now that we have Dick Johnson is dead. It's now Anthony Hopkins is okay. Do you think that would help its Oscar chances? All right, it's possible. Put it right up front. Uh, so I, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think this movie uh, is reckoning with a strange marketing campaign, and I wonder how that's going to play True. on this particular branch. And I don't know. I honestly don't know if this branch will think this is novel or they'll just totally ignore it. I really, I'm I'm really going to be you know fascinated to see, but. You have to reckon with two major motifs in this movie. She reenacts her father's death with elaborate stunts and movie magic and all these gags. And she has these fantasy dream heaven dance party sequences where it's like flashbacks to some of his best moments in his life. Some of his worst, too, which is shocking and it's all gorgeously shot with upgraded HD cameras, bigger budget cinematography, slow motion editing. What did you think of these two kind of uh, motifs in this movie? I mean, obviously it adds to the production values, but how do you think it worked in this particular story? Because some of the other stuff is so heavy. I think it works incredibly well. And I think that's why for me, I have this currently number one, because I think it's a movie that advances the genre. It advances the style versus some of these other films, which they're quality films, but especially something like Crip Camp, like you were saying, where it's a lot of 
archival and it's a lot of interviews and more of a standard fare versus you know something like this where it's it's very inventive it's so unique uh the story is relatable even if the the style is different so i Mm -hmm. think it's definitely something that if people are able to watch it and netflix puts it as their crown jewel that they want to put front and center I think that enough people will see it to for people to relate to it and to really dive in. And and like you said, I think the humor helps it versus hinders it. So you think the tension relief was smooth enough and the plot worked and and in terms of the subjects, you know, yeah, they have a macabre sense of humor, but it only makes you love them more because, you know, they're overworked and overeducated and fully aware of all the adversity that they're facing. Right. I mean, yeah. this is not somebody talking down to her father throughout or trying to manipulate her father throughout. I mean, there's some BS in here, I mean, obviously, but, you know, she comes clean. Almost, If she says something to her dad that you, you could see her like wanting to take back what she just said, and then she comes yeah. clean and levels with them. And I just thought that that kind of respect is just so refreshing. And, and I mean, there's moments like that that just bowl you over emotionally. And then you have a death stunt and a fake death, and then yeah. you have a, a dance <laughs> montage. So yeah. I'm just I'm just hoping the uh, documentary feature category has uh, a sense of humor about it like you. Well, uh, all right. Mike, real quick before you move on, I just yeah. want to say, too, that w- we covered it up top. Dick Johnson is so likable. He's so compelling. He's a beautiful man. And if you watch this movie and you (laughs) don't feel everything that is happening to him, uh, you know, in the in the tough, more tender moments, as well as, you know, his his bright, vibrant humor and how much he has emotion in his face and caring in his heart. This guy has the goods that make you want this movie to succeed. I can't believe this name popped up, but Aaron Sorkin with all his idyllic, you know, <laughs> yes. political uh, TV series. This is kind of that, but it's real. You know, yes, you're, you're which is important. A, yeah. You're showing a daughter uh, who loves her dad, and she's she's really dealing with this from a mature standpoint, more mature than I can even imagine. And, and, and it is that important. I just, I wonder if too many dimension movies, I wonder a lot of things about its Oscar chances. I wonder if this will be left at the altar and will crush us at the end of the day, because it happens <laughs> every year, Andrew, but all right, we built up to it enough. Just let's do our just top five rankings. One to five. I have the painter and the thief five boys state four dick johnson is dead three mlk fbi two and crip camp number one that's not my picks in terms of oscar nomination likelihood that's just the grades i have right now crip camp still a 90 a minus grade for me after rewatching it but I, I love all five of those movies on the record is an honorable mention six for me how about you do you what, what's your top five and if you have an honorable mention I am I am similar. I have The Painter and the Thief at five, Athlete A at four, Crip Camp at three, Boy State at two, and Dick Johnson is dead at one. So this so, is a top of the board for you. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I think what really did it for me, I rewatched it today, and for the fact that I was still crying, Mike, <laughs> still crying, I hear means you. this movie is, I know what's coming, and it's still very effective 
uh, in its filmmaking. And like I said, I think for me, the difference between the others is that A, the likability of Dick Johnson and the and the style advancing the genre mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. advancing uh, in terms of how the structure of this film is created. I think, it, for, like I said, Boys State, that movie is cooking. That is so well. It moves so well. It's an impressive directing feat, and it's and it's really poignant and topical. But at the end of the day, this thing just grabbed me by the heart. So I I I, I let I usually go towards those. But literally, if somebody just came to me and was like, "You're an idiot. You should do this," I I might sway any minute. But I will say because I'm right in the moment with this one right now. It's number one. So ready to go to spoilers? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. Alright, this is the spoiler section. This is where you want to be if you have turned on your Netflix, clicked on Dick Johnson is Dead, watched it all the way through, or if you don't care about spoilers. This is really a one-spoiler kind of movie regardless, so we'll kind of get that right almost off the top here. But we're going to talk best scenes, a couple of worsts, and then kind of, you know, some more overalls on this movie, Andrew. Look, I think uh, I, I think I have I have to admit where I cried, and you said it earlier. Yes. Even the rewatch got you. I I hate to one up you, but I don't know if this is <laughs> the, the case with you too, because we were listening to podcasts, we were listening to YouTube videos, we were sharing links throughout the, the last two days, doing our research on this one. Kirsten Johnson did a lot of great interviews, and she was on NPR, and they were playing clips from the movie, and I was tearing up before we even hit record today because they were replaying one of these scenes. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> It's powerful stuff, and it's not the you know it's not the trailer stuff. It's not the trailer moments. It's the first time for me is when he got his car taken away, and he's still absolutely oh, and he's and the daughter's like, I know it hurts. It's your independence, isn't it? She because she tries to rationalize it with him, and then she just levels with him, and then they cry and they hug, and I am a mess, an absolute yeah. mess, because I've seen that, I've seen that drama play out between my mother and my grandma. I've seen that drama play out with my grandpa after he got into his however many car accidents. I, I just, I've seen it happen, and I've seen the understanding, and I've seen, you know, how you know my family's had to deal with it. Uh, the second time for me was. I lost it when he is getting that close-up. And it's a Tom Hooper, Les Miserables (laughs) close-up. I don't know why she kept doing that to him. It's an up-the-nose close-up. So the man Uh trims his his nose hairs. But he's getting that close-up, and he's talking about, like, he's her little brother. I'm not your father anymore. I'm your little brother. And his eyes are all welling. There's watery eyes, and you're just wondering, is that old man watery eyes? Because that happens too. And she asks him, are you crying? And he's like, yeah. And then he starts to break down, and I'm like, oh, God. I can't handle this. And finally, the third time with the biggest spoiler, we have the fake funeral. 
What yeah. did you think of this fake funeral? Did it get you at the end? There's a big laugh in here that I didn't get on the first watch. Did, can you go through maybe the 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 ending of this movie? What'd you think? So yeah, complete spoilers. So please disregard. Uh, you know, going <laughs> forward with this, uh, I would say this movie is it lacks. Uh, manipulation or deception for a lot of it. I think it's done really straightforward and lets you play with that. <laughs> until. But the, until the end of the film, because you're literally going from a scene where the camera's off kilter. It's mm-hmm. not faced at anyone. You're in the back of an ambulance. Someone's trying to be saved. You know, I assume it's him. I'm assuming this is le- legit. But he survives uh, whatever episode that he went through, and they staged this fake funeral where even though the players seem to know the score here, they... You think, you hope. You think. I mean, yeah, I mean, because he says at one point, I think he thinks this is real. So I don't know if that's Dick Johnson not being lucid or whether, like, they were informed beforehand to know that this is going on. But either way... If you take it, the beauty of the the stories that they tell about this man, and especially his friend who makes an incredibly funny statement to begin with that is so funny about how he gets rid of people out of his house, uh, the parties at his home, and then moves on to then do a ridiculous uh you know uh, some kind of horn music so that he he named the going away song uh and that was the request from dick johnson that you play if that he outlives him to play it at his funeral and then he goes and plays this awful awful song to get people to go away and you have to sit and live with this but then you also have to deal with this friend who whether he knows it or not has an emotional breakdown that you just cry along with him. And then the aftermath, even after Dick Johnson goes in and is glad handing, he still can't deal with it. Goes down. You see him emotional in a back hallway, just breaking down. And I was with that man. I was totally with him too, to the point where I kind of had wind tunnel ears for the yeah. first watch, and I didn't even hear that goofy ass horn note. So when I rewatched it, Andrew, <laughs> and I heard the silly nonsense horn note, it was yeah. hilarious. I had my biggest laugh of either watch. So it's it's one of those ridiculous scenes that uh, is truly worthy of a Oscar level finale. Let's just absolutely. Say. That, of course, they will neglect to pay attention to. <laughs> just Again, I have no faith in this branch. But uh, I, I totally agree with you. That is quite the sequence. And it's a bit of a dirty trick it from is a dirty Kirsten trick. Johnson. However, she foreshadows all of it. Like, he yes. was in the casket in an earlier scene yep. where, essentially, they're prepping for this big moment at the Yeah, church. the staging so- is on, yeah. It's it's all there. I mean, we didn't know they were going to go to the length of having a body cast of the man. Right, so yeah. that We figured that was him. Oh, my goodness. So he's still alive. He is in a dementia facility, but you heard him on a couple podcasts recently where he is uh, seemingly pretty happy about this entire premiere thing, right? Yeah, he was pretty lucid, uh, you know, very... Uh... 
knowledgeable about the reception of this film and yeah. his his role in it and uh, and the fact that people even still want to talk to him and and he gets it he's still lucid he's he was giving very poignant statements really uh well done interviews so good for him probably 87 at this point 88 years old you know wow he's an impressive beautiful man and i can't say enough about him and the daughter told a story on that NPR podcast where he wanted to go home, right? And when she visited him at the facility, she just begged him a hundred different ways to take him home. And again, she, her just telling the story, like she's just a born storyteller. She knows, yeah. exactly, again, I'm choking up listening to this an hour ago, but she actually leaned on him for some parenting advice and he totally followed through. So I'll let you guys listen to that podcast, but I, so he's still there. He's still with it. It's it's unfortunate that he's he's reckoning with so much of the dementia right now. But he's he's out there enjoying the premiere at least. Yeah, and even to your point, like even for that conversation that you just said and where he is right now, even that is foreshadowed in the film of you know when he has that feeling that he has when he's left in that person's apartment during the Halloween trick or treating. And that he's just, he felt so alone and that he kind of knew one day that he's going to be alone and that he can't live with her forever. And that there is going to come a point to where it's going to be too much for her and that they need to do this. And, you know, here we are. And that's exactly what's going on uh, is the movie does a great job of setting everything up, but it also leaves you with enough that you want to still know more about these people, which is rare in a documentary subject. I am just so impressed with the scenes she chose to include, right? Because I'm sure there's a lot that she could have emphasized. She could have emphasized his car crash and the reason, like they build up his decline into this narrative and they let it build on each other. Just like any good antagonism is built up in a story, right? You have, Kind of just the reference to the car and that he crashed it and that it's a problem, right? I mean, he can't be on his own anymore because of that, but we don't get into it. I mean, he's eating birthday day cake, playing with the kids and on on the beach later, but he's got a lot of family playtime. And every time he's eating something, ice cream, birthday cake, it's (laughs) a beautiful dessert movie. But, you know, he's singing songs with his grandkids and all these are great scenes kind of deflecting and distracting everybody from what's really going on. But he does have these revelations that that she slips in and it builds into that doctor scene where you're kind of getting more of a clearer picture of the level of his dementia where he has no short-term recall and he's really struggling. That was one of my favorite scenes as well. And be honest, Mike, you were playing along with that memory game that they had to do and you were also failing. Like, no. uh... <laughs> <laughs> Look, at I forget names of movies all the time. My short-term memory is pretty spot on <laughs> to the point where I know Face was the first one now. I mean, yes. long-term memory. Red was the last one. I, uh, Red was in there, right? Anyway, I yeah. remember it's two out of the five even now. Yeah, Velvet, Church, Velvet Red, Church. Daisy, and I think I'm forgetting. Well, that's. I think it was five, but yeah, we, I think we together we yeah, still remember it. I think we got Yeah, we'll talk ourselves into the fact. That but when we're I with first it. watched the film, I was like, you know, I had that dad <laughs> brain. You know, I have two young kids that just exhaust me, and I'm like, that's right. Did I 
did I remember? Do I remember what the five ones were? And I, I did have one of those moments of like, oh, God, I'm going to be a terrible 80-year-old if I make it that far. <laughs> it's just an incredible scene, but it's it's a scene where, the again, the antagonism is building. You're not wallowing in it, which is very different for a documentary feature Oscar contender, let's just sure. say, because yeah. they could be just parades of sadness one scene after the next. And this is not that. You'll get a dance montage after that. I, I just yeah. thought it's fascinating how they cut this thing together. We mentioned best scenes here, Andrew. Do you have any more bests? Um, I mean, there's a lot of the humor stuff that is in here that should be noted, especially a lot of the stunts and everything. You don't want to overlook the effort that they went through with some of these uh, setups. Some of them are really, really well done. I like. I definitely. I I want to say the air conditioning one falling on his head. I think might be even in the trailer, and it is so well done that it if, really kind of catches you the first time they do it. If stunts like this could be done so well, how did like Xena Warrior Princess and Hercules? How did those shows ever <laughs> exist? There's still a lot of bad action shows out there. They just don't give a f, right? They don't oh, care. Yeah. If, but if documentary filmmakers can have this you know, high quality stunts in their films. <laughs> what the hell's going on at the rest of entertainment? I totally agree. But also just to echo what you were saying before about the, the scenes that you had mentioned, I think, especially as a dad, I know I've mentioned it multiple times. I'm a dad. Yes. And mm-hmm. I have, a, I have a young son uh, who's four years old. And when I saw the emotion in Dick Johnson's face, when they talked about the car, you really yeah. saw like the disappointment of a small child in oh. him that it was like you know that that didn't get his uh, you know the gift he wanted at Christmas kind of look oh. on his face that you just the sad puppy dog look that he has that really sets the stage for the passing of the torch basically where he sinks into that feeling that he is the little brother and like you said that scene is so emotional. Everybody who I know has seen this film talks about that scene uh, because we all kind of go through that where eventually you become the parent. Even my kids uh, talk about it uh, in, a, in a way uh, where they say one day you're going to be the kid and they don't know how true they really are. They think that's how the circle wow. of life goes. But uh, it's actually uh, very smart on their part because it kind of oh. happens. <laughs> it does happen unfortunately and and my god that the fact that you're a film critic and have to watch movies like this and you catch those things with your own you know just around the house and around the family that's that's fascinating to me i can't really have those same moments with my dog um, I just, I guess I just have to turn on another movie, but, uh, that, that's two different lives, but that's, that, that is fascinating. And it, and it does add to the meaning of it. It does add to the impact of a movie like this. Can you have any worse here? I think my biggest worst, to be honest with you, is that it was dirty pool. She really tricked me bad yeah. to the point where I was so fooled that I was angry with her. Yeah. I mean, if you want to say like, especially on rewatch, that's mm-hmm. going to mess with you slightly, or at least I... <laughs> You know, because it's like, all right, I know what you did here. Like, so it, it is less effective in the ramp. But like I said, the the emotion is so good and the feelings are so genuine because it's real that it it doesn't seem to matter once you get mm-hmm. past the trick. So uh, one one just kind of like cheeky bad, I will say that it kind of hit me, especially on rewatch is so one of the stunts that they pull is Dick Johnson 
falling down a flight of stairs and kind of breaking his neck and having yeah. like a pool of blood there. For yeah. them to to show the, the bookend of that scene where they show it the fall, then they go and show through the stunt, but also have a conversation about that those are the same set of stairs that the mother fell down. Oh, yeah. That you're like, you're putting this man through like kind of almost a flashback of what happened to his wife and kind of the beginning of the end thoughts and then make him do a stunt on top of it to go through. So that I thought was like, where's the line? So the line got pushed and she does it again. in like one of the dance sequences, like the wedding, the fake wedding flashback also has a flashback to a car crash. which she, She mentioned was her dad's, kind of uh one one reason why the mother's life because the dad was hiding his feet right i mean he was yeah. just so ashamed about his feet and the mother was hiding the fact that her parents had died or her mother had died and this, in a car crash this... she was driving oh and that was involved in that <laughs> joyous musical number yeah i mean it's not a drunk driver you're literally hitting another human being but still i don't get the point fully of why that's in there and it should be a more sensitive especially to her but hey it's there <laughs> it's there and they're they're not shying away from the the motif that they leaned into from the beginning i mean they're go- if they're gonna do it they're like let's do it and oh my god you're right it's it's just i'm sure we'd notice another 10 things that are equally <laughs> as macabre and and as um but this is the shockingly beauty of this therapeutic yeah. yeah this is th- exactly it is an excellent form of therapy. It's a great coping mechanism for something that truly is some of the more things that keeps me up at night, you know, death, aging, you know, trying to live your life. He he is a perfect example of living in the moment. Uh, There's so many great conversations with him where he discusses as much about, you know, his philosophies on life that are definitely something to take with you. So, you know, even when they do ride the line or cross the line, yeah. the beauty is that this family is all in and that they're bonded in this way that it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Because no one, literally no one is getting hurt, even though you repeatedly see him get hurt. <laughs> it's quite the roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster, because there's a lot of happy moments, like you're saying. And uh, the, lows are, or, or the, the lows are really sad and that, and that moments of happiness and, and quote unquote joy. And the fact that she made this movie essentially to just basically put her middle finger up in the air towards death. I mean, she yeah. she's just like making this movie with her dad. They know full well what's coming, but they're trying to deal with it together doing this and they're immortalizing it on film for everybody forever. Yeah. So, I mean, I, we're, we're blessed to have a movie like this. I don't know if it works better or worse in a year like this. That's a bigger mm. question. Do you have any more final thoughts here, any more worse before we put a grade on this thing? I don't have any more worse, but just in in kind of talking out your your statement that you just said, I think in this year, especially looking side by side with what its competition is, you know, maybe people want to look away from some of the stuff that is more topical because we deal with it every 
single day and that yeah. a more human story like this one especially however, knowing that he's still alive might make something prevail here but that however this is the documentary film branch they have <laughs> they have all been conductors of that parade of sadness many yes. times before for good reason and for heroic reasons this is like the most heroic the least corrupted branch of the hollywood elite right right if you think about it honestly they're probably the the poorest although if you'll indulge me because you you are (laughs) steeped in knowing the answer to this look at the winners though look at the winners of the last few years i wouldn't say that they were the top of the top of the heap of sadness though i i don't i don't feel like a lot of them were that kind of style and i think that's where this one might sneak through the gate here. But, I right. mean, nominations, oh, yeah, there'll be sadness up and down. So <laughs> it, it's a weird category, and I hear you guys dissect it every year. And I, what I'd say is that if it gets nominated, it's dangerous, but it is also in danger of not being nominated. For That's more the dumb <laughs> rationale that happens with this category more than that it would just be snubbed at the end of the day well it's boomer bust and yes you know no, they don't release the numbers so we can say whatever we want yeah but my guess is that won't you be my neighbor after it won all of the precursors same with jane same with apollo 11 they come in there with the awards resume and yeah. you got a lot of momentum behind it and i don't think that branch you know, uh, neglects all that. I, I, I mean, I, I think they take it into consideration. Let's just say so. They're they're voting against that on purpose because they think they know better than the critics in many yeah. in many ways. And and they may they may know that the uh, documentary filmmaking is is a is a craft far different than and in terms of analysis than narrative filmmaking. And I, I'm sure and it is. But at the end of the day. They make me sad every year, so I can't necessarily <laughs> give them the benefit of every doubt here. <laughs> yeah, and I have one last Oscar lens question for you, though. Okay. The, the Netflix of it all, meaning mm-hmm. that in terms of, like, the ceremony is now pushed back so far, and we know that, you know, there is no good ramp anymore. So And, and there will be multiple festivals, and we have talked in great length that Netflix – pulled out of the festivals of 2020 at least that you know who knows what their decision will be for 2021 maybe in Sundance or whatever but I will definitely say does anyone have better positioning than being out right now or is there something that could sneak in and have a better longer life here because this movie comes out in October so we did an entire episode previewing the next Netflix slate of this year, right? Yeah. And everything we talked about in that episode, plus maybe another 10 or 15 films are involved. So Netflix not only had their curated slate that they handpicked coming off a year where they underperformed in terms of the winner's circle, where they're coming back with a vengeance, where they're trying to break through like they did in TV, where everything's, you know, just building and building and building for them. Then they add, you know, five major contenders, 10 major contenders to that. It's not even close, Andrew. You're 100% (laughs) right. They have a slate that uh, is just, just dominant compared to everybody else's. Does that invoke envy, uh, resentment from the Hollywood establishment? At this point, it should not. Because if this is going to be a streaming year Oscars, 
and Netflix employs most of these people anyway. If you can't vote Netflix movies in this year, if you still have that bias, then you're out of your darn minds. I mean, if anybody's propping up the business right now, it is Netflix. Yeah, but do you think the October release date is a problem? Not for a documentary. Last year was August for, uh, and I think Icarus was something similar. It was very early release date, and I think I think they need a long ramp, not just with the uh, the critics, but with the public. So last year was August for um, American Factory, correct? Or it was late I believe, summer? I believe that maybe might it was be July. True. Yeah, but uh, it was it was early, and that's kind of uh, comparable to this October release in a fourteenth month calendar Oscar year. So I don't I don't think it's a problem at all. You know, does it get edged out late if something breaks late at Sundance? Maybe. Like the COVID or, you know, Trump related or election cycle related things. Ironically, it might be something that's acquired by Netflix, though. <laughs> that's a fair point. Because you're already seeing a lot of these, you know, COVID style things getting eaten up. I mean, Netflix even got one of the rare movies that was shot during COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, acquired during that time. So, you know, maybe they do and, and they have a, enough money to definitely move stuff around. So we'll see what happens in that in that way. All right. I think we got to put a final grade on this thing. I think you talked me up yet again. And I, <laughs> I don't know if this changed my top five rankings, but I think I'm now a B plus 89. I was a B plus 88 going into the day. It's very close with Crip Camp and MLK FBI and the movies atop my list. Boy State is close too. I mean, to me, in terms of quality, a lot of them are close in terms of my grades. Where does this one rank in terms of your numbers? Yeah, I, I go back and forth a little bit. Uh, like, if if I think that Boys State is probably a high B plus, I would say that this one is at minimum a high B plus, if not low, right. low A minus, like right on the border there. So I'd say it's yeah in that eighty nine ninety range. Uh, you know, I I don't really go as hardcore with the exact numberage <laughs> as you do. It's more like a grade feeling. I, have I think to. I originally I have had no this. Choice. Definitely first watch, I had this as an A-minus movie. But the fact that I could ask you that question must mean we've collaborated so many times right now. Is it an 89, buddy, or is it a 90? (laughs) Explain yourself. So this was fun yet again. Um, Let's uh, let's tell the people what we got coming up. Uh, Go ahead. Go first. Yeah, I mean, you know. You know, as well as everybody else, you know, that Netflix is loaded uh, coming up, you know. Yes, so sir. October has a lot of, you know, not only Trial of Chicago 7, which comes out uh, next week, you know. So we got that look forward to. You and I went on a lovely excursion to a movie <laughs> theater to see that one. So that's we did. A, it was an interesting thing, and we'll be able to tell you all about it then. Um, but, yeah, and then, of course, uh, you know, we're having a, a big Netflix watch party party tonight if you're listening on the day release uh you know we are going to be watching the adam sandler vehicle uh hubie halloween and we'll be able to uh love it or hate it you'll be able to be in the (laughs) comment section with us you know just going for it all night long it's the perfect movie to do that too you know you don't want to sit there with an oscar movie you know just looking (laughs) at it and then just slowly putting your comments on the side of a board no 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 you want it with a movie like an adam sandler movie where you could be like jesus christ what character is rob schneider or steve buscemi gonna do (laughs) or whatever or why is Shaq in this movie you want to say things like that so 
definitely join us for that. It, it should be a whole lot of fun. We're doing that at 9 p.m. tonight. So, uh, you know, Facebook uh, event page for that one. Follow us on Facebook, uh, the Nomcast, the Netflix Original Movie Podcast. So check that out. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of the horror movies are coming up. You got Rebecca, you know, the Hitchcock yeah. uh, remake. And definitely November, you got Hillbilly Elegy. And, and, and then you start to really, really ramp up the Oscar stuff. So we are going to be busy. I've been lately putting out two episodes a week, whether I like it or not. Uh, I'm a one-man band, and I'm exhausted. So uh, join us on this journey. We just released Boys in the Band. You know, we got a lot of things uh, that are doing well right now. So... Please join us uh, on our journey through the end of the year. Yeah, I loved your episode on The Boys in the Band. And I like that movie much more than I ever thought I would after kind of its original critical reception. So uh, excellent job. And uh, Hubie Halloween, I'm sure it's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be eventful. It's going to be fun. I don't know why he has to do the same voice in every movie. But then again, and maybe I'm mad at him if he doesn't. If he does a non oscar grabby movie and he doesn't do a voice but uh we grew up on adam sandler how can we not watch that movie it's just impossible to avoid exactly so listen uh we got the trial of chicago seven like you we got uh rebecca we got uh over the moon we're gonna decide which one we're gonna review but you're right i mean netflix is the show they are the show right now this month of october mike and i are also gonna do french exit maybe atop a Oscar Race Checkpoint news episode or in its own episode. We're going to see the movie with Michelle Pfeiffer and see how it stacks up. And then uh, we got Minari later in the month where we may do an early review where we both have tickets at Middleburg, middlebergfilm.org and AFI Fest. I mean, just Google that, guys. I think the tickets are running out on a lot of these movies, but tickets are like $8, they're $15, $12. If you want to watch these movies early, even though Mike and I have been doing non-spoiler reviews of Nomadland on the rocks, they are at these virtual film festivals. They are playing nationwide. And if you're abroad, that you got festivals near you that are virtually premiering a lot of these uh, Oscar contending films. So go out there and support these important uh, film bodies. I mean, these are, these are, People that depend on that festival income every year, and uh, you know, if you if you spend a hundred bucks, you'll you'll be able to watch ten or fifteen movies, and it's 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 money well spent. And you'll get uh, you'll get an early look at all of them. So I'm doing that. I'm going to be watching way too many movies over the, over the rest <laughs> of October, but probably reviewing Netflix movies with Mike and you, and then watching movies on on my lonesome because I don't have a life, I don't have kids, and I can <laughs> and I will. But uh, this was this was great, man. Uh, any any final shout out here? No, man. I'm just glad you have something to fill the void that is quarantine. <laughs> uh, that you can fill the silences with uh, great films at the end of the year, like we always do, uh, to make it seem like we have a sense of normalcy in the chaos that is happening right now. So I'm glad for you for that. <laughs> I watched The Trouble Hunters two nights ago. I watched American Utopia last night. David Burns spikily yeah. shot American Utopia. It was my happy place, man. And both both movies were just a lot of fun, even if I didn't think The Trouble Hunters was as good. But, yeah, there's a lot of great movies out there. Catch them early. Catch them online. They're, it's available for us. So, All right, Andrew. This was fun, man. Always a blast, man. I appreciate you having me. Catch you later, guys. See ya.